We're so glad to be together. Hey, we're starting a new sermon series today. It is Jeremiah, Take the Next Step of Faith. We're going to be looking for the next four weeks at a character, not a king. Sometimes we look at characters in the Bible and we say, hey, I, I, get, I get them. I can, I can understand them. A king is a person with power and a throne and authority and people, subjects, and probably a crown, maybe a scepter. Jeremiah is not a king. Sometimes we look and we say, well, I get characters in the Bible, shepherds. You know, maybe I don't know a shepherd, but I get the idea. They have sheep. They are caretakers. We think of Jesus as the the good shepherd taking care of flocks. Well, Jeremiah is not a shepherd. We always think, okay, there's characters in the Bible we can really understand and relate to. Fishermen, you know, we think of some of the disciples who got in the boat and how fishing is a a metaphor for our lives as Christians. They get in their boats, they cast out the net, they follow Jesus, they listen, the fish come, they share the fish with others. Jeremiah is not a fisherman. What is Jeremiah? Jeremiah is a prophet. We're going to have our, our sermon slides on here. Jeremiah is a prophet. And what we see with Jeremiah as we go to our next slide, we're going to see that Jeremiah lived in a time that was very confusing and very complicated for the people. He lived at the actual end of a kingdom. Sometimes you may feel like life is crumbling. Well, for Jeremiah, life was crumbling. This did not feel like the end. This was the end. Yet, God called him to be a prophet. And again, we say, what does a prophet mean? We can think of prophets a few ways. First of all, they have words and they have lives. Let's talk about their words first. A prophet's words do two things, as we stay on our previous slide. A prophet's word do two things. Here's what they do. They foretell. What does that mean? It talks about the future. We think of that. Prophetic word, that's talking about the future, certainly. Okay. So Jeremiah is living in a complicated time and talking about the future. He's going to talk about two things. We think of Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. So he's going to talk a lot about destruction and destruction of nations. But he's also going to talk foretelling about the future of hope, what we think of as a messianic hope, hope through Jesus. They foretell, but they do something else. Prophets like Jeremiah foretell. Foretell is about the future. Foretell is about the present. He would talk about what they're going through and what they're facing. And so we see that his words do both of these things. But we're calling this series Take the Next Step of Faith because we don't just focus on his words. We're going to focus on Jeremiah's life and actions. And we're going to see that literally his entire life serves as an object lesson for what it means to follow God. At one point, he's going to Maybe you've had a time in your life where you feel like life circumstances have thrown you into a well. That's intentional. We see what it means to be a person of faith, what it means to follow God through Jeremiah. And you're going to see right away in this text, that this lovely text that Christine read for us, see that Jeremiah is an unlikely person. He's going to have excuses. He's going to deal with what I like to call the five deadly words for every Christian. Every single one of us has to deal with these at some point. He's going to directly throw these up in his own way, right in the text. God can't use me because. Have you ever felt this? 
I want you to put five fingers up. This is one of the only times I'll have you do something interactive. This is important, though. Put five fingers in the air. Say it with me in three, two, one. God can't use me because earlier we were in a service outside and we were looking at a dumpster. And I said to my friends there, I want you to take those five words. I don't want you to put them in the recycling bin because then we'll have to reuse them. I want you to take them and I want you to throw them into the dumpster. We're sitting here, the dumpster's over there. Let's throw these words into the dumpster. These are not helpful, but what do they come from? They come from then, they come from now, and they come from fear. God can't use me because something then, something in my past, a decision I made that I regret. God can't use me because I'm that same person and I did that thing. Maybe a missed opportunity. You know, I was young once. I I had so much energy, no gray hair, but now I'm old. Oh, I can't do it now. God can't use me because I missed the boat. Someone else will have to take up that job. It's not for me anymore. God can't use me because of that. What about now things? God can't use me because I'm busy. Have you ever felt this? I'm too busy to be used by God. God's going to use someone a little less busy than me. Have we felt this? What about this? God can't use me because I'm so anxious. The world is anxious. My life is anxious. The news is anxious. Scrolling on social media, anxious. God can't use me because there's calm people. I'm not calm. I'm anxious. What about fear? God can't use me because I'm so afraid about this with my children. I'm so afraid about this with my marriage. I'm so afraid about this with getting old and aging. Let's throw those words out. They're not helpful. They're not biblical. Let me give you something that is biblical, that Jeremiah starts with these five words, and he has to understand this is our big idea for today. Five better words. I'm part of God's plan. This is not self-help. This is not affirmations. This is biblical truth. I'm part of God's plan. I choose what happens next. God has a plan, purpose. God has a redemptive history on behalf of creation. It's documented in the Bible. If you have a Bible, look at your Bible for a moment. If you brought a pocket Bible, we'll need it in a moment as we look through the text and study together. The Bible documents God's historic redemptive effort on behalf of creation. We know that God created. It was perfect. It was wonderful. Sin entered the world. We were powerless over it. Jesus walked life, died on behalf of us for our sins, and all we have to do is have faith. We begin to be made right with God. We lose the power and the guilt of sin, and now we can walk living in faith, renewed as we see the redemption, God's redemptive history. We start to see the ministry of reconciliation in our world. I'm part of God's plan. It's not that you're going to find each of us in the Bible or David in the Bible, but the Bible shows us God's plan We are part of it. We choose what happens next. God is already working. And now, Jeremiah was in the same boat. You may come today feeling like God can't use me because. Jeremiah had to work through that. We got to work through that. As we're in this step, you'll see that this series is called Take the Next Step of Faith. What does it not say? It doesn't say take the next leap of faith. Is a leap of faith helpful? No, that's... It's not helpful. Why? What does the writer of Hebrews say? The writer of Hebrews says, does he he say we will leap by faith, not by sight? No, he says we will walk 
by faith, not by sight. We take the next step of faith, knowing life is a long, slow journey, and faith is a long, slow walk. I'm part of God's plan. I choose what happens next in my life. We see this with Jeremiah. We're going to open up in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah to the very first little bit. God is going to give victory over these five deadly words. God can't use me because. we got to start with circumstances. There are external things in our lives that we look and we disqualify ourselves because of. We say, oh, I was born in the wrong time. If I was born 100 years ago, then I could really do something for the Lord. But not in 2023. These are the wrong times. It's all wrong. If only things were different. Have you ever felt this? If only I lived in a different time, I was born in the wrong decade. I was born in the wrong generation. No, no, no. Look what happened with Jeremiah. We're going to open to the first three verses of the entire book. We're going to get the context. We're going to see his circumstances. And guess what, friends? You're going to see his circumstances are a lot worse than ours. These are the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah. What does that mean? Think of him as a pastor's kid. They didn't have pastors, they had priests. He is in the priestly line. He's the PK, and here he is. He has an opportunity to do something. What does it say? One of the priests from the towns of Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. What does that mean? That means he's from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in the lower kingdom of Judah. At this point, the upper kingdom of Israel has been destroyed. And now Judah is the last kingdom standing, and he has an opportunity to be here in the literal last days of his country. It's going to start okay. Look at what it says. The Lord first, verse 2, gave messages to Jeremiah during the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah, the last good king, son of Ammon, king of Judah. The Lord's messages continued throughout the reign of Jehoiakim, Josiah's son, until the 11th year of the reign of King Zedekiah, another of Josiah's sons. In August of that 11th year, the people of Jerusalem were taken away as captives. What does that tell us? That tells us the entire plot of the entire book of Jeremiah. You just got it in three chapters. All of it right there. We're now going to learn more as we read through Jeremiah, as we study for the next four weeks. But what you're going to see is everything is right there. He's in the last days of his country. I want you to imagine it like this. Imagine being in the last days of Kmart. Imagine that Jeremiah is not a prophet, but he is an executive from a family of Kmart executives in 1998. And he's so excited because he's going to be the next great CEO of Kmart. They're going to solve Y2K together. What's the problem? Kmart went down. Who's been to a Kmart recently? We haven't been. It's gone. Just as he, things were okay when he's young, kind of like growing up and saying, I can't wait to be an executive in Kmart, but now as he's getting older, finding his voice, everything is crumbling. He has circumstances that are crushing. Throughout history, Christians who have made a difference have had to deal with this. Can we agree? Every single Christian we've ever been inspired by has needed God, not them, but God to provide victory over circumstances so all the external stuff doesn't take over. I want to tell you about a guy named John. Oh, it says his name on the screen. Outdoors, it was so much better without the visual. Well, we're going to still call him. Pretend you don't see his last name. I'll tell you about my friend John. John was this really harsh guy. He loved religion, and he loved reading the Bible, and he loved being better than people. So when he went to college, 
He didn't play beer pong. He didn't go to frat parties. You know what he did? He joined the holy club. And they got together and they felt holy together and they felt amazing. And what changed in his life? Nothing. He was miserable. So then he said, oh, I'm going to go across the sea to America and I'm going to spread the Bible. Not the gospel, but I'm going to share the Bible. He didn't have a personal relationship. He goes there and he fails. Why does he fail? This is all about rules and He's harsh, and he's cold, and he's angry, and he's bitter, and he's vindictive, and he gets kicked out. And he keeps failing to the point where he's 35 years old. Still a young man, but feels like a failure. And he has failed. Things have not gone well for him. And some of experience, his heart feels a little different. The Lord does a work in his heart, and he starts to have a personal relationship. And he realizes that it's not that he has to be vindictive. It's not that he has to be legalistic. He just has to love God and be open. And we'll talk about this more as we go. But then he looks at the church and he says, the church has an amazing opportunity. We have to start preaching the gospel. We have to start talking about the fact that Jesus changes things, that the gospel changes things, and he tries to do it. But the church is elitist, kind of like the old John. And what do they do? They say, hey, your message is threatening, and they kick him out. And he doesn't have a license to preach now, and he doesn't have a key to preach. But his friend George says, hey, John, I have a solution for you. You know where you don't need a license or a key? The field. You should go out and preach to poor people in the field and see what happens. Quickly, 20,000 people at times are gathered hearing the gospel. And it is literally said he goes and speaks to minors. Historians have literally said that he prevented a civil war in England. Because people heard the gospel, stopped their bitterness, started living for Jesus, started seeing the greater good, and started living a different way. Now, how does that relate to us? When we see our circumstances, we can feel like John Wesley or we can feel like Jeremiah. The last days, everything's wrong, if only. But here is our option, my friends. With God, no circumstance should define me. Let's say that together. With God... No circumstance should define me. And Jeremiah had to start with that. But you're going to see, he hasn't even gotten to his moment of God can't use me because that comes next. Because the external can crush us and define us. But even if it doesn't, what happens? We start to get something in our brain. The excuses. We now need victory over the excuses. If we are defined by the circumstances... We can't go on, but then we get to the point where now we say, I need victory over my excuses, and I have to look internally. Let's continue looking through here. So he's accepted his life and direct message from God. Who'd like a direct message from the Lord? Not like reading the Bible and you saying this applies to me, but God speaks directly to you. Look, God's going to talk to Jeremiah. Look at this. Ready? The Lord gave me this message. Let's receive that. Who'd like to get a message from the Lord this morning? The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for I'm too young. God, you can't use me because I'm too young. Jeremiah disqualified himself. I want you to notice two things. He is young. 
He certainly is young. He's probably 20-ish, maybe 19. He's a young man. Let's think of him as 17, 18, 19, a young, knuckle-headed teenager. So he's young, but God is appointing him to do something. He's appointing him to talk not only to his nation, but to nations. Now, I don't know about you. When I was 17, God didn't set me to talk to the president and to talk to the United Nations. You know what I was doing? Playing Xbox. Jeremiah has an amazing opportunity, but what does he say? God's speaking directly to him, and what's he saying? I'm too young. I can't use me because I'm too young. God's saying, well, hi, like, I'm talking directly to you. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Like, you give me an excuse, but Jeremiah can't get out of his way. And this is one of the things. We have to say, why do we start with the excuses? Researchers have looked, and they want to say, why are capable people reluctant to step up. This is something that's been asked. Why are capable people reluctant to step up? It's been said it's about risk, and it's three types of risk. Interpersonal risk with relationships. If I step up, it'll hurt my relationships. If I say yes to God, and God has a plan and purpose for me, it's so much easier to say God can't use me because if I step up, It'll change the way I interact with my family. It'll, oh, if, if I accept this, that I have to start doing this Bible study, now other people, it affects, if we have a Bible study in my home, you know, it'll, it'll, make, my, it'll make my neighbors a little uncomfortable. It'll, maybe a family member, I have an unsaved family member, they won't like it, things will be different. But the second one is not just relationships, but reputation. If I step up, it'll hurt my reputation. What will the Joneses think about me? What will people think? If I start taking steps for the Lord in my life, if I say yes to God, if I let my faith not just be a brain thing but a life thing, people might think differently. And then, third reason, people come after me. Friends, let's be honest. If I step up and I say, hey, I'm going to step up for God and people now know I'm a Christian, some Christians get known for doing some pretty bad stuff. And now, something we have to deal with is that we can look around and say, Christians have done bad things. Christians have really messed things up at times. Now people can look at me and associate me with all those people. But the reality is, is these are just excuses. These are just things that keep us at bay. With God, we don't need excuses. No excuse should limit me. I want to tell you about my friend Matt. My friend Matt is a mentor in my life. And my friend Matt is not someone who has great degrees. He's not someone who has great formal education. But he also doesn't have excuses either because here's what he's told me. He said, David, this is what I have. And I said, Matt, what's that? He said, I have this. I said, Matt, what are you talking about? He said, I have this. I just surrender to God, and I know that, like, I'm surrendering to God now. And it's an everyday, every moment thing. And I don't need formal other things. God's going to give me what I need to make a difference. And I don't need excuses. And I don't need to worry about my circumstances. I give this to God. Continual surrender to God. Okay, this is what I have. I don't have a lot, but God just simply used me. And so, with God... No excuse should limit us. 
This is my one time I'll ask you to raise hands again. Who here has ever had an excuse stop you from doing the right thing? We've all had it. Jeremiah had that too. Do you see that? This guy who's one of the key figures in the Bible starts with this. You're in good company, my friends. If you've ever had an excuse limit you, you're in good company. I want to reread what he says before we finish the text. Here's what it says here. Let's be super, super clear. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. But with God, no excuse should limit me. Not that I need to self-will my way or bootstrap my way, but I need to let go and say, okay, God, I have this. And this means no excuses. This means I'm ready. Okay, no excuses. And Jeremiah had to get there. And now, let's see how he found victory over the five deadly words. It's because God has a plan. Those five deadly words, God can't use me because are lies... Instead, five better words, I'm part of God's plan. God has a plan. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, for my life, for Jeremiah's life. Let's look at what it says here. The Lord replied, wouldn't it be nice in your moment where you're feeling dark and despair and anxious and frustrated for the Lord to reply directly to you? We're going to stay on the previous slide. Wouldn't it be nice for the Lord to reply to you? Look at what he says. Don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, there are sometimes we take what God says in the Bible, really slow it down. And we look and we say, this word means this thing. And and look and notice this, and those are wonderful, and those are great. And we invite you to pull out a pen and to jot something down in a notepad or in your Bible. We're going to do something different on this. There are some times with prophetic language, remember, with the prophet, his words were meant for then, and they're meant for the future, and they apply to us too in many ways. God has a plan for our lives. God doesn't necessarily have the plan for you to be the prophet of Judah, because Judah's not around anymore. But what does God have a plan for each of your lives? And we don't need the excuses, and we don't need the circumstances. We're going to have victory because God has that plan. And so I've taken these words and I've rewritten them from God's perspective to you. I'm going to read it once, and we're going to read it together. We're going to read it on the screen because this is what it means. God is saying this to you. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't, don't say the circumstances are too much. Don't, don't come up with excuses. Don't disqualify yourself. I'm giving you a mission. Who's the I, God? I, God, am giving you a mission. The mission isn't necessarily to be a pastor or to be the prophet of Judah. The mission is contextual for each of us. We all have a mission. Watch. And guidance. Guidance is found here. Guidance is found among us with other Christians. Get in a, get in a home group. Be talking with your spouse. Pray together. Come together. Get guidance from the Word. Turn to Proverbs. See the practical things that God has given us. And guidance. I'll be with you 100% of the time so you have nothing to fear. Love God. So we're going to read this together. Because this is really essential as we're looking. If we are disqualifying ourselves, take exactly 
what God is saying to Jeremiah and to each of us. Let's read it. Don't disqualify yourself. I am giving you a mission and guidance. I'll be with you 100% of the time so you have nothing to fear. Best part, love God. Okay. Now, with that, here's my thing. I love Jeremiah. You can tell. You're like David, the obscure characters in the Bible. I, I get loving Peter because everyone knows Peter, but Jeremiah, being prophet, why do you love Jeremiah? After four weeks, my goal is that every single person here is going to love Jeremiah too. He's great. Why is he great? Because he's relatable. Because he's not the king. Because he's not the guy who gets it right. He gets thrown in a well. No one listens to him. They think he's like just some weird, crazy guy, and he has no influence, but he continues to say, I love the Lord, I'm going to follow, I'm going to serve. Eventually, they take him off, and literally, they kidnap him to Egypt. We have times in our lives where we just feel just taken away, and things are just taken over our lives. We can relate so much to Jeremiah, but let me tell you why I love Jeremiah. It comes down to this story of his call, the beginning of his ministry. When I was a little boy, little, little, little boy, I was about three years old, and every single night, my mother read to me out of this big red book of Bible stories. And I remember three stories especially from age three or so. There was the call of Samuel, where literally Samuel thought he was hearing another person's voice and was God, and finally has to say, here I am, Lord. Then I remember the call of Isaiah. It was the year that King Uzziah died. And then I remember the call of Jeremiah, this guy saying too young, and I started to have this light in my life. And this light was a sense as a little, little, little boy that I was called to love and to serve the people of God in the church. And it was clear for a three-year-old. And you can say that's weird. Three-year-olds don't have any clarity. Well, it was clear for me. And so when I got to church and it was time for the message, you know what I did? I grabbed the microphone and I was so excited and I tried to have a sermon to the congregation to the point where my parents sat me down and said, David, if you keep doing that, you can't be in church. And so I said, that's fine. I'm going on strike. And for a month, I sat in the nursery and refused to go into church because I wanted to preach to the people as a three or four-year-old. And finally, I sat and I attended church appropriately, but this light continued in my life. And I remember... After church, I would gather all the kids into the pastor's office, and we'd get playing cards, and we'd make elaborate card castles, and it was my first small group, and we didn't discuss Jeremiah. We discussed how to appropriately construct a card castle, and I loved it, and I felt like I was shepherding children, and there was this light in my life and the sense of call, and then middle school hit, and we moved. And I went to a Christian school. That's good news, right? No, because there were super Christians there. They listened to Christian music, and I listened to ACDC. <laughs> it was bad. I was a heathen. And that light started shrinking a little bit in my life, but not that much. And I continued on, and eventually I survived middle school. We moved to Plymouth, and I had an opportunity to start serving a little bit in my church as we moved here, and I was a 16-year-old kid in this church that I now serve. And that was great, but I had these friends when I went up to church camp who were, and they raised their hands. 
And I sat there like this and sang the praise song awkwardly. And you know what happened? That light, it seemed to shrink just a little bit for me. That light that I was carrying since a little kid. And again, I started feeling less than. I started giving excuses now. Oh, they really are at the kind of church that really gets them ready to serve God, and I, I must not be, I guess. And I started coming up with these weird excuses that didn't mean anything. Then I get to college, and I go to campus ministry. I actually meet my wife through campus ministry, my wife and I. And there's more super Christians, and I feel less and less and smaller and smaller, and eventually I drop out of college. And now I'm home angrily on my parents' couch. But this other group of people starts saying, hey, you have some gifts and some skills with young people. Why don't you come to the school? And this light gets smaller and smaller because people start telling me, hey, you should be a teacher. And I do. And I like it. And I feel like I can serve the Lord a little bit. And I start to have this circumstance that I'm no longer in the church mainly. I'm now in the school. And I say, well, my circumstance has I misunderstood it as a little gotten it wrong as a three-year-old. For the next 13 school years, remember being a kindergartner, then remember graduating high school. That's how long I spent in the schools again as a... And it started to get... That light started to get less and less and less, and I thought I was going to be a principal, which would have been fine, but it wasn't that sense of call that I got as a little boy. It wasn't when I was reading that Bible storybook with my mom, it wasn't to be a principal, it was to serve the church. And then the pandemic happened, and education became nonsense. And literally, there was no school, and instead I sat for 100 days in a prayer meeting with members of this church. And suddenly the light came back, and I finally had clarity. And I finally said, you know what? I've been making excuses I've been letting circumstances define me, but God was pretty clear with me that he has something for my life. Here we are today. I don't have to. But now let me apply it to you. Each of us does not have to be defined by your circumstances. God is asking you to do something in your life. You don't need to give excuses. Let's read this again. Don't disqualify yourself. I am giving you a mission and guidance. I'll be with you 100% of the time so you have nothing to fear. Yes. God has a plan for me today. Each of us. Every single one of us here. Now, we'll throw this graphic on the screen. God has a plan for every single one of us today. Every single one of us today. All success is His, not mine. So now here's my question for you. And it's pretty simple. Have you with the five deadly Christian? God can't use me because. We're going to have the elders come forward. We're going to have the band come forward. We're going to have a time to sing Jesus Messiah. What is that about? As the elders come forward, let me clearly articulate this. Maybe you're struggling with God can't use me because you haven't received salvation. You haven't been saved. And we'll leave this, pass, this on the screen. Maybe you're struggling with this because you 
that God created creation perfectly, sin entered the world, we're powerless, Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on our behalf, rose again, and all we have to do is by faith accept it. Maybe you haven't received that. So as the elders are forward, when you're coming up today and struggling with God can't use me because, maybe you need to receive salvation. Or maybe you fall closer into the David camp where you're walking with the Lord, but either a circumstance or an excuse is in the way. Let's do some business with the Lord. Come forward. Pray. And let's help you take some next steps. We're here as a church not to put on a show every week, but to worship God. And how does that happen? That doesn't just happen with hands or with singing. That happens with hearts. That happens with us coming and coming forward and saying, God, I'm struggling with God can't use me because. Lord, what would you have me do next? That's why we're studying Jeremiah, taking that next step of faith, not the leap. We walk by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. So come forward. Let's